Welcome to Beauty Superstars Talk, your backstage pass to experts in beauty. My name is Mickey Wright, and each and every week I have the privilege to interview Black beauty bosses who are doing amazing things in the beauty industry. We give voice to their stories and celebrate their excellence while they drop nuggets to help all of us become better beauty pros and better entrepreneurs. More than a podcast, this is a movement to encourage Black excellence, entrepreneurship, to preserve our history, and to bring healing to the beauty industry. It's been said, if you want to be the best, you have to hang out with the best. As someone who went from struggling hairstylist to winning awards, becoming an educator, and owner of one of the 200 fastest growing salons in the country, I am committed to bringing you the tips, tricks, and secrets of success from the best the beauty industry has to offer. So if you love beauty, business, and peeking backstage like I do, let's go. I want to welcome everybody. My name is Mickey Wright. I'm a salon business coach and the founder of Beauty Superstars Online Training. Some of you guys are new to Beauty Superstars, so I want to welcome you. And to let you know, it's like we're actually here committed to celebrating excellence in our beauty industry and that this will actually be the first of many of these interviews with superstars in the industry. And we are setting the bar really high, starting with our guest today. We're just going to share some stories today and, you know, kind of get some tidbits. I'm going to be here taking notes as well. I've actually known Ted for a while, um, but usually we're at shows and we're one's running this way, one's running that way. And we get <laughs> seconds. <but laughs> it's always Exactly. So it, it's really an honor to be able to sit here and, and have a real conversation with you. Let me introduce you to Mr. Ted Gibson, the man who needs no introduction. Considering his background, it's not surprising that Ted Gibson's incredible career as an influencer, independent hairdresser, salon owner, and celebrity stylist has created some of the most iconic looks of our generation. He has worked with models, actresses, fashion and beauty insiders, and influential women who love him to touch their tresses. Ted was also the resident hair guru on TLC's What Not to Wear and was responsible for the participants' life-changing makeovers. Ted Gibson is one of the most sought-after editorial runway and celebrity hairstylist in the business. His work has appeared in publications such as Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Elle, Marie Claire, Vanity Fair, People's Style Watch, W, and Allure, and backstage at runway shows such as Chanel, Prada, Dolce & Gabbana, he is also a huge influence and presence at both fall and spring New York Fashion Week, styling some of the top American fashion designer labels, including Pamela Rowland, Carmen Mark Balbo, Leela Rose, and Ted is perhaps most known for toiling over the tresses of top celebrities, including Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, Deborah Messing, Angela Jolie, Tessa Thompson, Rachel Brosnan, Lupita Nyong'o, Gabrielle Union, and many more. He was born in Texas and raised in a military family and moved from one exotic location to another, including Germany, Hawaii, and Japan. And that opened up a whole new world. So definitely want to hear more about that. And um, he's recently released his long-awaited new collection of his hairstyling products entitled Starring. So um, I'm super happy to welcome you and to be able to spend this time with you. I really appreciate it. And you're actually one of the, one of the people that I like would most love to sit down and do this with. So I really appreciate oh, you thank being you. available. Oh my God. Thank you so much. <laughs> that introduction, um, I appreciate it so much. But, you know, with all that being said, you know, I'm extremely grateful and very honored. And the fact that all of those things that you said you know, we sometimes forget our accomplishments and 
For those of you who are listening today, I'd like for you to think about that for a moment for yourself. Just remember the things that have really contributed to your life and made you really successful. Because sometimes we're always thinking about the next thing, the next thing, and we forget about some things that have really contributed to why I am in this moment and where I am at this moment. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think, thank you for, for allowing us to really think about that for a second. You know, it's like I was uh, in some rooms recently and yeah. everybody there was just amazing and powerful and, and accomplished. And it was like, I don't think the level of recognition of that from self was, was there as, yeah. as much as it could be. Cause it's like, yeah. wow, you're really a, yeah. a powerful group here. Well, I've been, I've been in this business for, I would say, close to 30 years. And in that 30 years, the thing that I say that's the most incredible thing is that with the beauty school license, the things that I've been able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I'm from Texas, like you said, and I grew up in a military family, as you said, and I'm an only child. And, you know, I, I think that the opportunity in that of moving around all the time gave me the way to adapt to things really easily, you know, because we, every three or four years we move. So I would have to leave new friends and make new friends, leave fr new friends and make new friends. So I think that kind of environment helped me to adapt to different situations rather quickly and easily. Right. So I, I would attribute that to some of my success. I think that the other thing that would be um, helped me be successful is, you know, is having a mentor um, having someone who can tell you when you're wrong and tell you when you're right and help you uh, with, with decisions that could be lifelong or immediately. And, you know, I've had some really great mentors in my life that have really helped, nap, helped me navigate my wishes and my desires. So if you don't have a mentor, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Find someone. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's powerful. And and one of the things that I wanted to explore today, we've got several things I want to cover, but just where did your mindset come from? Like, you know, the things that you've experienced have shaped, you know, how you've been able to move through the industry. But what is it that made you think, oh, well, this could be even bigger and this could even be bigger. What is that in you that oh, maybe yeah. some of us can? Well, that's a great question. You know, I... I, you know, my husband, Jason, always says that I'm kind of a visionary and, you know, I think outside of the box to my success and to my detriment at the same time. Like I sometimes so far ahead that it's not received very well because people don't really understand it. I can't put a finger on it or a hand on it. They don't really understand it. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, Oprah always says about the successes that someone has and the failures that someone has. And if you asked her how many things have succeeded and how many things have failed, she would tell you that there have been more things that didn't work than there are things that have worked. <laughs> and for me, that, that's a really powerful thing to know because the things that happened and it didn't necessarily go my way wasn't a defining moment for me. It helped me get to the next place. Right, sense. right. And yeah. so do you feel like it's important to have a sense of just being willing to fail to go yes. out there? And yes, 100%. Because if you take no risks, you know, you, you won't have anything. I, I, I don't remember the quote, but there's this really amazing quote that I was just reading. And in this pandemic and everything that happened over the last two weeks with Mr. Floyd, you know, we our new salon in Los Angeles has only been a year old, still a baby, mm. uh, opened last week and last Wednesday. And before we opened, Jason and I, we both meditate and we both read 
um, in the morning, kind of a morning practice before we get into our day. So it kind of sets the mood for the day. And in that morning practice was a quote, and I don't have it with me, but it was a quote. And essentially it was like, okay, so if you don't move and you don't understand not to move, then what ends up happening is you just stay where you are and nothing changes and nothing happens. So what that meant to me was that yes, we have to open the salon because we weren't going to. We were like, okay, so all this stuff is happening. We're a little scared. We're a little frightened. Our clients, you know, are they going to come? Are you know, are we risking our, our health to open the salon? You know, we're we're following all the guidelines from the the governor of California and you know the Center for Disease Control. We're following all that, but still, there's this piece of you like, okay, I don't I don't want to get it. So mm-hmm. what do I do? You know, so we're following all those guidelines. And I think that those moments of fear and those moments of possible failure, I try not to let define me, but I keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really powerful because, I mean, we all have those. And, and we all have those. making yeah. those decisions in the moment. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of the game or, you know, you are a stay-at-home mom or you are a a guy that works on Wall Street or you are, you know, a high-powered attorney. There's, you know, we're all human. So we all have these things in our life that we have to make critical decisions on what's going to be the next move for for ourselves. Right, right. Well, definitely one of the things that we wanted to talk about was, you know, what is going on in in our country with, you know, George... Floyd's murder, basically, and all of the things that came before it. (laughs) There's a laundry list of things that came before it. And, you know, of course, there are some things, you know, I've been having some conversations about, you know, how racism shows itself in our industry in terms of the the beauty industry. And one of the things, you know, from from my perspective, and maybe from others who are watching, it, it seems like you've been able to somehow navigate the landscape of what's available and make it, you know, work in your favor. So can you speak to us from your experience, you know, as a black man in the beauty industry, who's just been able to, you know, excel and what that experience has been like for you? Oh, Mickey, you're so good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) You're You're so good. What a question. You know, you made it look easy. Really? (laughs) From the outside Um, looking in. (laughs) From the outside looking in, I've made it look easy. Okay, great. I I would say that from the time that I came out of the womb, it was going to be challenging. Mm -hmm. I may may have made it look easy. Right. But I, it's not, it hasn't been easy. But the thing that I think that has saved me, and then I'll go into the story, the thing that I think that has saved me is because I really truly believe that everything is for my good. Mm-hmm. That everything is for my good. And what that means to me is that everything is for my good. Even the, the things that other people may think may be terrible or whatever, I believe that everything is for my good in the core of my soul. So. I knew from an early age, my mom and my dad instilled in me, they wouldn't necessarily say that because I was black, but it was definitely implied. You know, like I didn't have a pair of jeans till I was 12 years old. If you ever see me, generally I'm in a suit jacket because my mom had me in a suit jacket all the time. So subtly she 
told me that what my experience is going to be is being black in America. So what that meant to me was that I wore a suit jacket. I presented myself in a way that I think we call it, Jason, what is it called? Code what? Code switching. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's called code switching. And if you don't know what code switching is, is really just kind of adapting to different situations. But I, I code switched, but I didn't code switch, meaning that I wore a jacket all, all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was always in a jacket. And I knew that I was gay and that um, it was going to be very important for me to have a certain um, level of greatness because of the two things that would possibly hinder me from being successful. Mm. You know, when I was in high school, I didn't know I was an athlete. I didn't hang out with only the jocks. I hang out with the jocks, I hang out with the band people, I hang out with the ROTC, you know, I hung out with everyone. So for me, it was really about people. It wasn't really about the color of the skin. And I guess being in the military, I, you know, my dad was in the military, I was surrounded by people all the time. Mm-hmm. So for me, I just was accustomed to that. But I knew from the time that I had picked up a pair of shears and a comb and how I tingled from my feet all the way to the top of my head, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to be a hairdresser. But I knew that if I was going to navigate being a hairdresser, that it could not be, that I could not be a black hairdresser. So and tell me what, what that meant to you. Well, it meant to me that I needed to do textures of hair that I didn't want to do just women, African-American women. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was about texture. That if you sat in my chair, didn't matter what color skin you had, I could do your hair. Right. So it was really important for me, and that's always been my platform from the, from the moment that I started doing hair, that it was about that for me. So, and I knew that if I wanted to get to a certain place, that I had to do the white girls. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. I did. I did. I knew that if I wanted to get to a certain place, that I had to do the white girls. And unfortunately, my white counterparts, they don't have to do black girls. Right. So I, I've been very vocal about this lately because, you know, I have the most expensive haircut in the country. I have owned four salons. I had a successful product line that was sold at Henry Bendel, 35 doors of Saks, 100 doors, about 120 doors of Sephora, and then went to 1,000 doors of Target, mm-hmm. all in a span of about four years. Wow. And have worked on covers of magazines, have done fashion shows, New York, London, Milan and Paris, couture included in that, have done editorial for every major publication, and it still isn't enough. Mm. Tell us what that means to you. Well, it means that I haven't gotten the the recognition that I feel like that I deserve. Mm-hmm. And in a show called What Not to Wear for five years. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I still haven't gotten that recognition. And I attribute it to being black. Mm-hmm. Because if I was white and straight, my experience would have been different. But I knew that I'm going to use that to my advantage of being black, being gay, being six foot three, and 250 pounds. I'm going to use that to my advantage. <laughs> 
and you've used it well. (laughs) (laughs) And it hasn't been easy, you know, but I think that what's again about the things that I just keep moving, I just keep moving. And my mentor, Zan Ray, who's also my life guide, you know, she talks about that because she was the first place that I worked at um, as an assistant. I lived in Killeen, Texas. I wanted to move to Austin after I got my license. And I'm telling you, there wasn't a black person that worked in that salon. Zan did not want to hire me. It took her a long time to hire me. But I knew that there was something that she had that I needed. Mm -hmm. I knew it. There was something she had that I needed. So I would call and say, hey, Zan, it's Ted. Hey, Zan, hey, Zan, hey, Zan, it's Ted. Hey, Zan. You know how it is when there's something that you want so bad that it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what's in the way that you're going to get it. And that's exactly how I felt about Zan. Awesome. And I knew that there was something that she had. And she taught me. Mm-hmm. I remember this one, th- one time where I, you know, I was wearing this, my favorite linen shirt, black linen shirt that I paid a lot of money for in Austin. It had, it, from dry cleaning, it had just a little bit of hole in it, right, that, like that. I wore it to work. She said, Ted, I don't want you to wear that shirt again. You have a hole in it. I'm like, whatever, girl. <laughs> I wore it again. She said, Ted, I told you, I don't want you to wear that shirt. You have a hole in it. Mm-hmm. Wore it again, Zan, Stuck her finger. She said, I told you not to wear that shirt again. And she stuck her finger in and she ripped it. Oh my gosh. And you- Abuse! <laughs> but <laughs> it taught me a lesson. Mm-hmm. What the lesson was is that the expectation of me is greater than I thought. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean about get a mentor, someone who's going to tell you, look, you're not, it's not right. Right. It's not right. So those things have attributed to my success. I really believe that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, that the bar of excellence has to be set to a higher level than we may even be able to uh, see at a certain point. And that's always, Nikki. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always. It's always. You know, my goal has always been as an educator and all the things that I've done in my career is to really make sure that I leave a foundation for the next black hairdresser coming up, mm-hmm. you know, because it's important. You know, someone did that for me. They have fought civil rights and they have um, took the, the bullets and took the whippings and the lynchings and, you know, the, the abuse mm-hmm. so that I could be where I am today. And I never forget that. Right. Right. To take that same conversation and just kind of shift it into today into you know, your career, our career as black hairstylist and where you would like to see the, the direction of this industry go. You know, what, what are your thoughts? What are your ideas as far as what a changed world can look like in the beauty industry? Well, I think that people have woke up. You know, people use that word woke a lot, but I really truly believe that people have woken up and I think that people have to wake up and I think that people have to speak up. This is a time for us not to be quiet. It's a time for us not to be quiet. That we have to use our voices. We have to use our power because we have a lot of power. 
we have to use our power in a way to help to make sure that there are more brown and black faces on sets. There are more brown and black faces on stage, you know, not just a token person. There are more people of color, period. And there hasn't been. The thing that I would say to most people is to know what it is that you want. Because that's one of the things that's been key for me is that I've always known what it is that I want. Mm -hmm. And knowing what it is, then it's your God-given right to have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I call it clarity. And and a lot of us, I, I you know, coach on that. And I watch people and talk to people and, you know, it's like people, you know, you'll hear the gripes and, you know, what's wrong and what's going on. And, you know, I just ask calmly, you know, it's like, well, what is it that you want? And they'll spend like <laughs> a few seconds on that and go back to the, to the complaining, you know, it's yeah, like, like I don't, I don't, you gotta stay focused on what you want. Yeah. 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 And I think that we have, we have to just think about it differently. And now we have to speak up. It's a must that we speak up. We have to, have to, have to. I can't stress it enough. For me, it's it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. Yeah. So do you have a definition or a starting point as to speak up to whom? You know, yeah. About, because yeah, there's, like you said, there's a lot of different areas that need yeah. to be spoken to. <laughs> well, I, I know that depending on where you are, that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're doing television, that's where it starts. If you're an editorial stylist and you live in LA or New York, that's where it starts. If you're a salon owner and you live in Oklahoma City, that's where it starts. If you are an um, editorial hairdresser or you are an independent hairdresser and you work in a booth by yourself, that's where it starts and that's where it has to begin. You know, because if you are here and you're trying to go here, you can't go here until you make the steps up to there. Mm -hmm. You know, when you said earlier about that, I made it look easy. (laughs) You know, I I worked really, really, really hard. And not to say that nobody else works hard, but my hard working and my clarity of what it is that I want, that combination is unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So... Is there something you can attribute, you said since you were born, but kind of what gives you that drive to persist? And and I hear that, you know, it's like, I love talking to people who are successful, you know, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. because it's like, I always hear a persistence, a willingness to, you know, however many times you get knocked down that you get back up and you, you know, take that next step. You know, I do have to say, um, this may be off off that, that question, but I do have to say that all of my life I've been you know, I'm 54 and all of my life, I have not spoken up when I should have spoken up. And I feel really bad about that. And I hold some responsibility in the fact that I would let things slide because of my position or where I was at the moment or what I didn't want to lose or what I didn't think um, would be accepted. And I think it's important that we all recognize that we cannot continue to not have a voice. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. Yeah, um, I'm even hesitant to jump <laughs> into that because I think what you just said was so powerful that we all just need to take it in. Mm. Because I was thinking about the airport, you know, how they you know, started that slogan with you know i guess after 9 11 if you see something say something 
-hmm. and thinking about how that pertains to us and, you know, how many times, you know, I myself have seen different things or had different things, you know, that have, have come up and you just almost, or for myself, kind of accept it as, you know, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Things that are like a slight, you know, and this is totally off, off brand, but, you know, you go to the grocery store and you say, I want a, a pound of, of ground round um, or, you know, or whatever the high ground beef is or what have you. I don't even buy that much, but, <laughs> but um, you know, the, the butcher or person behind the counter is like, Oh, well we have, you know, hamburger for like, you know, it's less than half of the price of that. And you know that they're only telling you that because you're black. Because you're black. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, and we don't say anything. And we don't say anything. Yeah. A lot of times I, I, I haven't said anything thinking that, could that really be happening? Is that what they're implying? Is that, you know, what, 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 you know, because our lives are all always about education. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is, it's always about education. And sometimes I'm just tired of educating. I want you to just, I want you to know already, like mm -hmm. how, how much more do we need to explain and tell you, right? How much more do we need to explain and tell you that, you can't just use my likeness to right. sell your product or make you feel good about yourself. You just can't do that. Right, right. It's not okay anymore. Can you share any examples of, you know, an instance when you feel like you kind of wish you had spoken up? So many. <laughs> I can't think of one right at the moment that I would want to share. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be um, episode two. Chapter. Okay, right. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> oh, my husband wants to tell a story. Uh, <laughs> you stay over there. <laughs> yeah, we'll have we'll have to have Ted Gibson uncut. So. <laughs> <laughs> this will get a little uncut. Just stay stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there there've been lots. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm you know, sure. one in particular, you know, I, I had, and I've told this story over the last few days, but I had built a really great reputation in editorial. Like I had done L and Harper's Bazaar and I'd done 17 and I've done Cosmopolitan and I had done, you know, international, all, all, you know, publications and, you know, built this really great reputation. And I'll just backtrack really quick because, you know, I moved to New York when I was 33 years old. And during this time in the mid nineties, what would happen is if you wanted to do editorial, you lived in New York City. If you wanted to do celebrity, you lived in Los Angeles and you weren't very good. Because if you lived in New York, we created the trends. Like we would do all the shows, we would create the trend, it would trickle down just like it is in Devil Wears Prada, right? <laughs> so exactly, exactly how she says that. Right. <laughs> so we would create these trends and everything. And as I was building this great reputation, I wanted to get new representation, an agent, a new agent. So I went to this company called The Wall Group. And The Wall Group um, was, was really hot at that time. And they're still somewhat, but The Wall Group. And I'll say it again, The Wall Group. If you don't look it up, The Wall Group. And I hope somebody from The Wall Group is on um, <laughs> because I'm still mad about it. And I think that you did it wrong and you need to send me an apology. But anyway, so the wall group, I, as I said earlier, I'm always in a jacket. I am always dressed great, right? 
So at that time, the office was on 14th Street in, in Manhattan, in the Meatpacking District. So I take my book. At that time, we had books. Nothing was digital then. So I took my book, big book. As I take my book, I go up the stairs. I go in, and I say, "I'm, you know, I'm here to drop my book off." And they say, "Okay," and they take my book. I um, leave, go down the stairs, go about my day. A couple of days later, they call me back. Uh, you can come pick up your book. I said, "Okay." So I go up the stairs. I go into the office. As I go into the office, the girl says, "Oh, they're over there." But meanwhile, let me back up because if those of you who are black on 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 this Facebook Live, you know what I'm talking about. When you go into a place and you feel a little uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. That feeling of why are you here? Mm-hmm. We all, we all know what that feels like. We all know, we know it immediately, that feeling of, why are you here? So that's what I felt the first time. That's what I felt the second time as I go to get my book. And as I come to get my book, she says, they're all over there. And I said, no, I came to pick up my book. My name is Ted Gibson. And she thought that I was the bike messenger. Mm-hmm. To pick up books to take to other places. In a, in a suit just because I was the color of my skin. Right. She didn't look at anything else except for the color of my skin. Because some bike messengers are black, some bike bike messengers are white, some bike messengers are Latina, some bike bike messengers are Asian, but I'm not the bike messenger. I was coming to pick up my book and I'll never forget it. I was so mad, Mm -hmm. I was so mad. And still to this day, I still don't have any respect for them. Because at the time, they didn't have any black hairdressers or black makeup artists on their board. Right. They do now, but they didn't then. Yeah. That's something that really, really, really upsets me still to this day. Mm-hmm. Because it didn't have to be that way. Right. People just are so in their own crap that they can't see far enough to really assess what is really going on. Mm-hmm. And just look at someone's color of their skin. That happens a lot. Happens a lot. Yeah. Happens a lot. And that's why we're part of how we're why we're having this discussion. So I appreciate you sharing that story because I can feel the the pain and the anger. Oh my God. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah. I I actually wanted to ask you about um, differences since you are in the, the beauty and the fashion world. It's like one of the things that came to me over the last day or so is how much I was influenced by um, Beverly Johnson being on a cover in the early seventies and, you know, in the magazine as well, but she was on the cover of glamor. I think that was probably the first that I saw. It's like, I went to the library and it's like, Oh my gosh, it's like, I was just, you know, enamored. I have this whole scrapbook of her. I think she was the first black model that was on the cover of Vogue as well. Exactly. And that was 74. It's like, I know all the dates, <laughs> all the stuff. But I, I think that that was the start of fashion starting to embrace a diversity in terms of the definition of beauty. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the beauty industry side is lagging so far behind with that. Do you mm-hmm. see that? Or do you, you know, am I just kind of? Well, I think that fashion and beauty dictate each other. And what I mean by they they dictate each other. And I think that, I'll just just be honest with you. I would, after doing so many women from 
Angelina Jolie, to Jessica Chastain, to Annie Hathaway, to Gabriel Union, to Zoe Saldana, to Lupita Nyong'o, to Deborah Messing, always being Black, if Jessica Chastain or Angelina Jolie wanted me to do a cover of Vogue with them, mm-hmm. they would never hire me to do that. Vogue would never hire you to do that. Would never hire me to do that because okay. they only thought that I was a black hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Because you're black. Exactly. <laughs> but my white counterparts, if there was a black girl on the cover of Vogue, the white counterpart would do the black girl. Right. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah. Um, so that's the challenge of what's happened. And then over the last two or three years, as magazines started failing, they started putting black people on the cover of, of magazines. Vanity Fair. Oh, wow. I don't think when I When would it be that you would ever see a black lesbian, Lena yeah. Waite, on the cover of Vanity Fair? That was about two or three years ago. Okay. Uh, I, you, would I, have seen that. you wouldn't have seen that five years ago. You wouldn't have seen that 10 years ago. Yeah. A black lesbian. Right. Yeah. So what they were trying to do is save their magazines because we as Black people are so powerful and so influential. Mm-hmm. So how do we harness that power? How do we harness that power? Exactly. We, we speak up. We have to speak up. Mm-hmm. We have to speak up, always speak up. And I'm guilty of it, but I haven't always spoken up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and some of the things that I've, I've thought about um, are like different situations, like with a, say a hair show or what have you, where I'm, mm-hmm. you know, working to negotiate what would be a good fit. And they're basically like, you're going to go here. This is what we have for you. Mm-hmm. And it's their show. So, you know, how do you, is there a way that you see that we can navigate that differently? Can you speak? I don't really understand your question. Can you give me a little bit more? What do you mean? Well, um, well, one example is, you know, with, with one beauty show and probably more, but one beauty show in particular, it's like I teach business and it's like they decided that I would be in the global textures section. And when I ask about being in the business section, they're like, oh, we don't have any room for you to be in the business section. And so, you know, it's like it's their show. And for me, you know, I guess kind of some of my nature is like, well, I'll just take my toys and go home, you know, you, create my you, own sandbox. Do you pay? Do you pay for the, to be at the show? I pay to go to it, but not to be there. Not, not to teach, not to be there. I think that it's unacceptable. I, unacceptable. At, IBS, at IBS, I had to cuss someone out once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, sure did. I, let, I, I had to let her have it. I sure did. Because sometimes you just have to. Uh-huh. Sometimes you just have to. And we have to make a choice either to speak up or not. And we have to speak up. Mm-hmm. We have to speak up. And we're more powerful in numbers than not. Mm-hmm. More powerful in numbers. Mickey and I, we were on a, a Zoom yesterday with, with uh, a lot of hairdressers. And the hairdressers, we were talking about the, the amount of influence that all these people have, which is fantastic collectively, as if all of us got together in the way that we want, want to get together, it would be loud. No one would be able to not hear it. It's just like what we've been dealing with and understanding over the last 16 days with the protest. Mm-hmm. Like, it's undeniable. Right. Undeniable how all of those people have come together and they're making a difference. Like, there's things that were, have not been talked about or never been talked about 
that are being talked about now. Right. For yeah. instance, the KKK should be a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Being in KKK should be a, you're a terrorist. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's the way it is. The power in numbers is really, really, really important. Mm-hmm. We have to come together on that. Very, very important. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I found interesting is that, you know, with having like the Zoom, I've been on a couple where we're, you know, just coming together and, and kind of sorting things out and meeting each other for the first time for many of us and hearing the stories as well and recognizing how many of us are are going through or have been going through similar situations, yet we never really conversed with each other. Right. We haven't had the conversation with, you know, the powers that be per se, but we haven't had the conversation with ourselves either. Well, last year, Chanel, everybody knows who Chanel is. They hired a person that was ahead of their diversity and she was white. Mm -hmm. We're like, that makes no sense. Fatima, a good friend of mine, she was having this talk with, with a trade magazine mm-hmm. and the trade magazine ended up sending, she wanted them to send her a mission statement. They sent her the mission statement and she's like, who wrote this? And right. they were like, our president. Well, your president is white. That makes no sense. Right. He doesn't have any experience that can, can give you to make you think that it's, it just makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have a challenge walking down the street. Right. You, when, when someone says to me, all lives matter, it's the same thing. You, if you are a white man walking down the street, you do not have the same experience as I do walking down the street. Right. And when you say I, all lives matter, it doesn't mean that you as a white man don't matter. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that Black Lives Matter because you haven't recognized Mm-hmm. Right. And a post I saw was saying if until Black Lives Matter, all lives don't really matter. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. And it's our duty and our responsibility to keep talking about it and keep making decisions that are based on that philosophy of life that all Black Lives, that Black lives Matter, that we have to. We right. have to. And I think that, you know, looking at the protest, I see that the level of, of diversity uh-huh. is not like how it was in the 60s. Uh-huh. I wasn't around. I mean, I was born in 65, but I, I, I know the visuals of what that looked like in the 60s for civil rights. Uh-huh. And most of those people were Black. Uh-huh. This time, right, they are all different ethnicities. Yeah. So I think that's a major, major, major accomplishment. And those people have to go out and vote. They have to vote. Right. That's the most important thing right now. That's you've made your voices heard. You have burned down buildings. You have busted crap up. You have done all these things. Great. But you know what? If you don't vote, all of that stuff makes no difference. Right. Right. No difference. Yeah, very powerfully said. It's like yeah, it's so true. We have to. We have to vote. 
Yeah, and I I looked at a little bit off topic, but basically on topic was what we're talking about with um, like the strides that we have made and appreciating that there are more people visible, you know, that are black and more people who are in positions of, you know, uh, leadership or power. And there was a conversation, I, I love the Today Show, and third hour, they had a conversation on race. And there was, you know, there was Al Roker, Craig Melvin, and Chanel Jones, as well as Dylan Dreyer, and three out of the four are black. And I'm like, you know, in the 60s that you wouldn't have seen that Ever. conversation. And Ever. so it's like, we have to, you know, acknowledge that we have made some progress, but it's like where we are is not acceptable. Yeah, it's true because the ones who make the decisions aren't black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's when we know when, when people that are making decisions at executive level, that's when we know that there is an opportunity and that we've turned a curve. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people who are making all the decisions, you know, it's great that they have these people on air that are of color, absolutely. But who are those bosses? Who are those bosses? Who are those bosses? Right. Until we get to a place where we have some diversity in that, we still have to be fighting. Exactly. Exactly. And and with the sports teams, it's like, we're like, oh, the, all these players are rich. It's like, but they're not owners, you know. No, they're not owners. Yeah. I just think, okay, so what, what would happen if every football player, every basketball player, every baseball player of color just stopped playing for a little bit? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Just stopped. You know what? I've decided that I'm not coming back this season Mm -hmm. until there's some changes. Right. Just think how powerful that would be. Now they're coming in and saying Kaepernick that they're they're talking about him again, and you know, but the, but the the commissioner hasn't given him an apology yet. Right. Yeah. You know, he hasn't given him an apology yet. There are a lot of all, and all the players didn't stand by him. There were only a few that stand, stood by him. But just think how powerful it would be. Exactly. Yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, kind of disingenuous apologies that are being floated about, which is not an apology. (laughs) It's not an apology. But let me just tell you something. Mr. Floyd being murdered like he was, what it did was it opened people's eyes that had never seen it before. It was different than Mr. Arbery, who was gunned down by those two men in the truck. It was different because we didn't see him die like we saw Mr. Floyd die. When we saw Mr. Floyd die, it wrecked the majority of people around the world. As it should. As it should. As it should. And I don't think people have ever seen that before. The majority of people have seen it. We saw Eric Gardner. Right. But it was different (laughs) because the only reason why we could actually see both of them at the same time. It was horrific. Mm-hmm. Horrific. It was horrific all those years ago, you know. All when, those years ago. Yeah, and and so many more. But we've had plenty of video, so it's it's hard for plenty. me to digest. Yeah. Oh, well, we just saw it now this way. It's like, no, <laughs> this is the first time we're seeing it. But you know what? Most people haven't. Right. That's the because we have. they we saw have. a black face. Right. And they thought you were the bike messenger. Exactly. <laughs> Completely different. Completely different. And you know, the, the, the thing about my, my career is that I have, you know, I'm, I've been very, very blessed and very fortunate to be able to 
have done the things that I've been able to do. Mm -hmm. And I really love this business of beauty. I love the hairdresser. I love being able to help them. That's the reason why Jason and I have opened our fourth salon because we see the value in, we love to see a hairdresser that maybe um, didn't have much and, and they turn into this, you know, six figure hairdresser. Right. You know, there's nothing greater than that. Right, nothing exactly. So, you know, you and I have been talking before. It's like you have some things in the, in the works. I, can't let you go without us, you know, kind of discussing something that's that's yeah. definitely moving us forward. It was designed to move us forward and kind of got interrupted by mm -hmm. all that is going on in the world. But um, tell me what you want to share with the hairstylist, the hairstylist that's sitting here watching right now that's saying, you know, I'm struggling. It's like, I can't quite figure out how to navigate this, how to build my clientele, how to, you know, increase my income and all of those things. And I know you are someone we really want to sit at your feet and learn from. Thank you, Mickey. Well, you know, first of all, they need to get a coach like you. That's the first step. Thank you. I appreciate that. Step, yeah, I think the first step is really making sure that you have somebody in your back pocket, which is vital, I believe, to success. You know, Tony Robbins has a mentor. Right. Zan Ray has a mentor. Right. I have a mentor. Of course, Rechtelbacher, who owned the founder of Aveda, had a mentor. Right. Right. I think a mentor is really crucial in success. Yeah. Oprah has a mentor, she had mentors. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's really crucial to success. And, you know, Jason and I have always been thoughtful. It is about our business and thoughtful about the hairdresser and our community. And when the pandemic happened for, you know, four months ago, we were very vocal because we felt like that the manufacturers had not stepped up. Mm -hmm. And here it is that every single hairdresser, every salon owner, have had all of, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of product on a shelf. That's not including back bar and color in a salon. Mm -hmm. And all of that money where a manufacturer is built on the back of hairdressers. Because if it wasn't for hairdressers, they would have no business. Right. And sometimes we as hairdressers forget the power that we have because we don't recognize that they need us. Absolutely. You can do hair, maybe it's harder to do hair color without product, but you could do hair without product. If you had to, you could, you don't have to use a product in order to do it. But you get part of a culture and you want to be a part of something, right? As hairdressers, we want to be part of something. It right. means something to our heart, right? And that was the manufacturer. Then what ended up happening is that the manufacturer didn't step up in the way that we thought that they should step up. Until they got some heat, then they stepped up. The Professional Beauty Association sent out a thing saying that they would give $500 to hairdressers, which is great, which is great. They set up a relief fund, that's great. The manufacturers took weeks in order to put something together saying that they would set up a relief fund to give to the hairdressers. But the challenge with that, that I was so upset about was that it wasn't a way to keep salons open. It wasn't enough money to keep a salon open. Right. It wasn't enough. You know, in saying that you could um, sell product virtually through, if you tell your client, you, they have set up a program where you tell your client they can buy product off of here and they just put in a code and then you'll get a cutback of 20%. Mind you, that's great, but it's not going to pay my rent. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not going to play my staff, my employees. 
The restaurant business, meanwhile, that's all they talked about in the first few weeks of pan the pandemic. Oh my God, the restaurant business, the restaurant business, the restaurant. Wait, what about the professional hairdressing community? Because if you eat, you're going to poop that right out. <laughs> Hair is so vital to a woman's and man's life. Like we saw that. We <laughs> saw the importance of how people felt because they had to cut and color their own hair. Mm -hmm. We saw that in how people tipped hairdressers or sent them money because they really knew how we were struggling right. as a community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How we were really struggling. So Jason, myself, uh, some friends of ours, Allison King and Shannon King, who are dear friends of ours, came up with this idea. And this idea is an organization called Worth Up, and now it's turned into the Worth Up Foundation. And what this foundation is going to be about is going to be a resource for hairdressers, eventually makeup artists, and anyone that's in the beauty realm to be a part of. Meaning that, let's say, Mickey, you decide that you want to launch a product, and you don't know exactly how to do that, or you don't know exactly where to go, this Worth That Foundation will be able to guide you into that. We possibly will even have grants in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's what Worth That Foundation is going to be. We're going to launch an initiative as soon as everything kind of calms down a little bit. We're you, Mickey, and we're so grateful for you to be a part of it. We have about 30 hairdressers that created um, this initiative movement together about how hairdressers are the most important people on the planet. And this is what we're going to offer. We are going to be offering so many resources for the hairdressing community. And it's not going to be manufacturer driven. So it's not gonna be reliant on any of the manufacturers to give money so that we can give money to you. Mm -hmm. It's going to be completely different than that. Powerful. We're so excited about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah. You had some, some thoughts on, well, I guess, you know, it's like, I don't know if you wanna share your pricing or what have you, we know you're the highest, uh, you have the highest price haircut in the country, but mm -hmm. what can someone watching this kind of take away from like, how can I raise my prices or how can I build the confidence to raise my prices? And, you know, whatever that entails as far as like what you see as far as what are the challenges and why don't we? Well, the first thing is, and this is long, us, us as hairdressers, we're, we're the most giving people, we're the most passionate people, we're the most emotional people, and we don't recognize our worth generally. You know, our friends would say, oh, it only takes you a couple of minutes just to cut my bangs. Oh, you know what? I'll come over, I'll bring a bottle of wine, and you can cut my hair. You know, we're friends, right? No, bitch. No. Pay me to cut your hair. Pay me to cut your bangs. Why? Because I spent so much time on my education to create my license. After my license, I went back to continuing education. I paid so much money for my education. That is worth something. Mm -hmm. Don't give it away. It's worth something. And we as hairdressers have to know, we have to hashtag worth up. We have to worth up because Right now, especially, what if just, just hypothetically, what would happen if the entire hairdressing community globally raised their prices 20%? Right this minute, 
What happens if all of you that are listening and watching right now, if everybody raised their prices 20%? I think I heard a collective. <gasps> yeah. yeah, but it would change the dynamic of everything. If you go to the grocery store, mm -hmm. it, that's gone up. Yep. Gas has gone up. Food has gone up. Your car insurance has gone up. Your house note has gone up. Your rent has gone up. Everything has gone up except for what you charge for a haircut. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with that picture. Right. There's something that doesn't make any sense at all. So worth up as a collective, having a consciousness of your worth as a hairdresser, what your worth to your community, your worth to uh, your state and your city, your worth to your country, your worth to the world. You are worth it. Your worth for your prosperity, <laughs> your worth for your abundance, your worth to wear the shoes that you want to wear, your worth to wear the clothes you want to wear, the car you want to drive, the house you want to live in. The way you do that is by having money and being paid. And my haircut, yes, is the most expensive haircut in the country. It's at $2,400 because I just raised it 20%. I don't have to do 10 haircuts a day. That is not my purpose to do 10. I do not, the, the, you guys who stand behind the chair 10, 12 hours a day, God love you. I could never do that. So my time is valuable. My time for an hour and 15 minutes is $2,400. If any of you all have contacted an attorney and the attorney tells you that his price is $450 an hour, do you argue with them? No. Mm -hmm. No. If you go to the doctor and the doctor charges $250 an hour and you see him and you're only there 15 minutes, do you think you're going to pay 15 minutes? No, you're going to pay for the hour at $250. It's the same thing. And I don't know why hairdressers have such a problem with understanding their value and who they are to their society. I don't know why they do. It makes no sense to me. Oh, I love my clients. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about what's in her pocketbook. Oh, she doesn't have a job. Listen, right now, when they say that unemployment is 13%, how many more people are still working? How much is that, Jason? My math is terrible. <laughs> now, no, wait a minute. You said 13%. Yeah. yeah. Like they were saying uh, like two weeks ago, that 80%. unemployment is at 20%, right? 80% of the people are still working. 80% of the people are still working. Mm -hmm. The reason why we're thinking, oh, people aren't working is because we only know people probably that aren't working, which are hairdressers, our <laughs> creators, right? But 80% of your clients are still working. Right. 80% of your clients still have a job. 80% of your clients are still making money. Right. They're working from home. They're going to the office. They're collecting their pension, whatever. What's in their pocket is no business of mine. I don't care. Just pay me my money. Just pay me my money. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's confidence. That's knowing my worth. That's knowing the hardships that I've had to do. Yes, I'm worth more than $2,400 as far as I'm concerned. But I think $2,400 an hour and 15 minutes, that's great. So you guys, 
if you don't hear anything that I've said today, worth up. I love it. <laughs> let that let that sink in and marinate <laughs> and be a, a little bit of a rallying cry for our industry. So we are, you know, kind of winding down here. So let me see if I can find some questions and if okay. there's anything more that you want to say, because I think that was, you know, it's almost like church where they pause and let the organ play for a minute so you can really like, <laughs> how to so get it. it. Your bones and your soul. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, I really, really believe that with every fiber of my being that the hairdresser is the most important person on the planet. Yeah. You know, we are. We are. If you work with a woman for a certain period of time of her life, we go through college, from college, her first job, her engagement, her husband, her children, her affair, her divorce, her new marriage, and all that. Just think of all those eight things, right? How many different hairdos are in that? How many things have we created differently for her? And that doesn't even include her kids. And that doesn't even include her kids. Mm -hmm. and we're, we're worth because just with that alone we're worth so much mm -hmm. so everybody's very excited about what you said and ready to work <laughs> up so <laughs> so yay so your your job is done here <laughs> <laughs> well i believe in the hairdresser i believe again that we're the most important people on the planet and i believe that we make a difference every single day and we have to know that our value we have to know our value Mm -hmm. and what that means for each and one of us that we are valued right you know, especially after this pandemic and you can see when well, after because we're still in it but after how we saw people cutting and coloring their own hair and you know there is a certain kind of respect that people have gotten because of that experience they see oh maybe it's not as easy as they as as we think it is it's not easy right it's right. not easy being a hairdresser you stand on your feet you know, you have to be well, you have to be paid well for that. Yeah, definitely. You only get one body. That's right. And if you wear it out, you won't be doing much. You won't be doing, no. Yeah. No. So I know I have one question. I don't know where it came from, but one person asked if, uh, like, what is your inspiration? And I know like with Working Fashion Week, you've got to be inspired and you've got to, you know, have the next thing and the next thing. So what keeps you inspired? What inspires you? Well, I think that every there's a lot of things that inspire me. You know, I, you know, the, our brand is called Starring. You can see Starring there backwards, but our brand is called Starring, and I am I love cinema. I love the movies, and I love old movies. I love the drama of an old movie. I love the hair of an old movie. I love the glamour of old movies. I love the storyline of old movies. Um, so that inspires me. Um, I'm also inspired, of course, by my husband. You know, um, we've been together 26 years. I uh, was one of his teachers in beauty school. That's how we met at the Horst Education Center in Minneapolis um, in 1994. So a long time we've been together. And um, I do have to say that as a partner in life and in business, um, there's nothing like it and that each and every one of you should have a Jason because he um, supports me and he uh, really understands me and because I'm crazy. And, you know, I say, you're, you know, you're like my Michelle Obama. <laughs> Michelle Obama. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, 
it's important to have love in your life. You know, there's a there's a um, an old movie from the '70s called Mahogany. If you've never seen it, mm-hmm. uh, with Diana Ross, and there's a point in the movie where Billy Dee Williams tells her um, about that success is nothing without someone without someone to share it with, mm-hmm. and it's the truth. Yeah, I remember that very vividly, and it's funny because okay. the team I had written that on there. I don't think you can see the post, but she's oh. like. Diana Ross Mahogany inspires you. <laughs> Stop it. Did she really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is so great. You know and she that, will. <laughs> <laughs> so. that's the truth. It's the truth. You know, having success and being by yourself is mm-hmm. not as fulfilling unless you have somebody to, to share it with. Definitely. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And that's, I think, an important, uh, important part to you know, just say, you know, it's like as people are going back and already reopened or what have you, that there's a good amount of people who really found this like, wow, I enjoy being home. I enjoy spending time with my family. I enjoy, you know, gardening and cooking and doing some things that I really hadn't had time to to do and yeah. maybe even just doing nothing for a little while. And sure. so, you know, it's like I'm encouraging everyone to, to restructure the way that you're putting together your livelihood and your schedule, you know, because of that, so you can feed your spirit as well. But also, you know, with all of the masks and all that kind of stuff, you need mask breaks. And with the increased sanitation slash sterilization now, it's like you've got to do that. So it's like you're not going to be able to do as many people. So make it so that it works for you so that you can enjoy some of those other pieces. Yeah, I mean, at Starring um, on the Bray here in Los Angeles, we're open six days a week. Uh, We're only open five hours a day Mm -hmm. right now. And there's just four of us in the salon. So Eric and Michael, we have them alternating days because we don't want, if if one of them gets sick, then we don't want the whole salon to be affected in that way. So we, um, they, each of them work three days a week and open five days, uh, five hours uh, on a, on a day. And it's, it'll be, it was a week today actually that we've been open and we're glad that we, we open. We, we knew that it was important for us to do that. We just want to make sure that we stay safe and we raised our prices 20%. Mm-hmm. So um, haircuts that were 150 are now 180 and clients are not even mm-hmm. saying anything about it. So I encourage you guys to raise your prices 20%. And now yeah. is the time to do it. Yeah, I'll just say this, and I do have another question for you. One of the things, you know, it's like when you hear 20% for some of us, it's easy to say, oh my goodness, that's too much, and you know, so on and so forth. But it's like, if you start to sit down and do the math, you know, it's like if it's $100 now, make it 120. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, like it went from 100 to 200, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, $20 is nothing for most people. Mm -hmm. They're not on a drink. Right, right. <laughs> you know, a couple days a week. <laughs> yeah, you know, stay home. Tell them stay home. Your hair is more important anyway. Right, right. <laughs> it's true. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, so we have one more question that's about what is your next long term goal? My next long term goal, my next long term goal is to create more product for starring. Mm-hmm. Um, also to open more salons. I love the salon business, but I am working on uh, franchising the concept of starring instead of owning all of them because owning all of them is not the way to go for us. I'm also uh, writing a beauty book, beauty and art book that I hope to launch um, in 2021. 
I'm super excited about that. It's a project that I've been working on for the last decade. And I can't tell you exactly what it's about, but it's a really, really, really great concept. And I already have 15 of my celebrity friends and, and clients that are going to do it with me. And it is going to be celebrity focused. So stay tuned for that in 2021. Awesome. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah. And um, there's some people wanting to find out how to get involved with Worth Up. Okay, great. I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> we, are in the, we are in the beginning stages. Stay tuned for more. Um, we haven't launched the initiative yet because of, of the death of Mr. Floyd. So as soon as it calms down a little bit, we, you will hear more about it. Um, what's great about it is that if you've heard of Beauty Changes Lives and Linnell Lynch, we're going to be a part of Beauty Changes Lives, a spinoff of that. Um, I'm very, very, very excited about it because um, I believe that Linnell is uh, a master at understanding how to build a non-for-profit organization. And the great thing about it is that we are for the hairdresser. Um, it's for the salon owner, the independent stylist. It is not elitist. You know, there's some other organizations that are elitist. It's not elitist. It doesn't matter about how much money you make in a salon, because what it's going to be for are for the people, if you will. If you're a $25 haircutter, if you're a $2,400 haircut or anywhere in between, this organization is there to help you. The Worth Up Foundation. So uh, look for that soonish. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we will definitely stay tuned. And you guys yeah. are here in Beauty Superstars. We'll definitely be making the announcements and all. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Plugged before, in. We, before we go. One quick question. Oh, maybe okay. maybe sure. it's not so quick, but a little bit about the specifics of raising your prices. Do you tell your clients in advance? Do you post it? Do you, you know, what's that conversation kind of look like in real life? Well, you know, it's so funny because I've done both. Mm -hmm. All of these years I have, you know, we would put a sign on the station that says, congratulations to blah, blah, blah. Uh, she has gotten or he has gotten a promotion and the haircut is now blah, blah, blah. Right. I think that's a great way to do it. I think that you want to give them four to six weeks head notice so that they can make a decision. But my recommendation is, is that when you raise your prices, you never, ever, ever have to justify it, you guys. You don't have to justify it. You can say, this is my price. This is how much I charge. This is my worth. And you do not have to justify and go into, because again, you don't care what's in her pocketbook, right? For you, it's a really about who you are and what your business to do and how your business is to thrive and your livelihood. Because you're the one standing on your feet. You're the one going to continue education. You're the one who paid for all of your education. You're the one that have done all these things for all of these years. You know, that's worth something. It is. And my encouragement to you is to raise your prices 20%. Right now, raising 20%. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. You said you wanted to share something before we depart? Yes. I wanted to say I've known you for many, many, many years. To look at you, you would not think that. <laughs> you look like you're 28 years old. We should all be so blessed. Well, bless you. <laughs> you do. My new BFF, right? <laughs> you are ever, forever, forever young. <laughs> and I, I, I want to say to you to thank you for your consistency and your message and the way that you approach your life and the way that you approach the business of hairdressing. You know, there aren't many people who I can say 
that have done such a stellar job and consistently. And I know that when you are in it every single day, you may not understand your contribution and the way that you have built your career and your business, but you're such an inspiration. And Mickey Wright, thank you very, very, very much. Thank you, Ted. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, thank you. Thank it's you. Very, very, very special. Yeah, there's not, there's nobody like you. So um, I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. And yeah. the feeling is mutual. And um, I had, I had a, a sense of, it's like, this is going to be kind of epic. And I think <laughs> it was. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule just to um, have this conversation. I think we really need it now more than ever to, to hear your guidance, to hear how you've navigated, you know, the, the industry, the racism in the industry, you know, how you have focused yourself and your career on the things that you want and gone after them. And so it's like, we can't do anything but applaud you for all of that. And, um, and also for, you know, it's like, worse up. I mean, it's time. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for joining us and just let you know how much we appreciate you and the beauty industry. And as a, you know, it's like as a, as a person, you're that person, you know what I mean? It's like the heart's there. It's like the head's there. The talent is there. Everything is there. So it's like, we really appreciate you. Thank you. So we will say good night. Um, it's like you guys are, are part of Beauty Superstars and I'm going to be doing more of this. It's like I think that we need to hear the stories um, of some of the people we may see their work online. And I think we need to know, um, you know, the power and the passion. And um, I really just want to celebrate excellence with the Beauty Superstars platform. So I appreciate you being our first guest. It's like the bar has been set very, very high. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, everybody who joined um, today. We appreciate it. So take good care. Tell your friends, um, you know, come and watch this because this is epic. <laughs> so everyone keep reaching for the stars. Thank you again, Ted, and I'll see everybody soon.